God, that you continue to touch him. Father, I ask that you touch Pastor this morning as he brings forth the word of God to us, that it might touch our hearts and lives and make a change in it. And Father, we have failed not to give you praise. Somebody put a 
put a time capsule in there somewhere and put a little piece of granite in there. They might put on there to just kind of encapsulate our entire society, what we're about. They might put the words, me first. But I don't think that is just something that is 21st century. When Jesus made the statement back in his day that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many, when he made that statement, it was a revolutionary statement. Kings and queens and Caesars, they didn't. They didn't serve other people. Everybody served them. But God says, and all that Jesus was and all that Jesus did, he said, I came to serve you. You know, there's another verse very similar to Mark 10, 45. It's over in the book of Matthew, chapter 20, verse 28. And it says this, your attitude must be like my own, for I did not come to be served, but to serve. I love the way the Living Bible words that. Talking about our attitudes. Our attitudes need to be like Jesus. We need to serve people. So if we are following Christ's example, which followers of Jesus Christ are supposed to do, disciples, Christians, then we need to be serving. We are not, I hope you come away with this this morning, we are not here to serve ourselves. 1 Peter 4.10 puts it this way. Each one should use whatever gifts he's received to serve others. Notice Peter does not say that we're here to make money. That we've been given gifts to make money. He says, whatever God's given you, serve others. Your talents, and I think we just really miss this today. The talents and gifts and abilities that God has given you, they're not for your benefit. He gave you talents and abilities and experiences and backgrounds and all those things for the benefit of other people to be used serving others. You are here to make a contribution, not just to consume. You know, I was up at that camp that I used to live at years ago up in North Carolina. We had horses. And uh, in my opinion, our horses consumed a lot more than they were worth, so to speak. Now, not everybody thinks that way, but when you're taking care of a bunch of horses all the time, that was kind of the conclusion I arrived at. I mean, they were great for campers, don't get me wrong. But just from the, the practical work side and money side, we figured it cost us about $15 a day to take care of a horse. And, you know, we always had 10, 15, 20 horses. It just got really expensive. You had to feed them twice a day. You had to plant hay. You had to harvest hay. You, need, you had to put out hay. You needed to worm them. You had to call vets. You had to take care of their tag. You had to get them ready when you were going to ride them. Just, just all of this stuff. And it just seemed like they took a lot more of our resources than they were worth. I'm going to go into an even more sacred ground now. <laughs> to me, cats are like that. <laughs> you know, you take care of them, you feed them, and then they just look at you like they're annoyed with you. Am I right? Well, we are not meant to be consumers. 
are meant to give something back. One person put it this way. I love the way he put it. He said, what matters is not the duration of your life, but the donation of your life. That's a statement from Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. Isn't that a great way of putting it? Not the duration of your life, but the donation of your life. Now, the Bible has a word for this, and it's called, excuse me, it's called ministry. Now, you know, when I say the word ministry, I think a lot of times we think of, of people that, you know, pastors and priests, those people that wear the funny white collar sometimes, or guys like me standing up here in a, in a coat and tie. And that's what we tend to think of when we think of ministers, you know, people that, you know, in the microphone, and God said. And that's what we tend to think about. But you know the word serving and minister or servant and minister are the same word in the Bible? So that means anybody that's a servant is a minister. And all of us should be servants. And it simply means if you're ministering or you're serving, you're taking your gifts and your talents and your abilities and your experiences and all those things and you're serving God. Other times we think of servants, and I think we think of people that, you know, they're just beating down people, people out in cotton fields, indentured servants, immigrant workers or whatever, people that are just going through life hunched over, have no self-esteem. But that's not what a minister or servant is in the Bible. They're people that use what God has given them to serve other people. All of us are called to be ministers. So here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to tell them right now, you are a minister. You don't have to shake your finger at them, but anyway, tell them that. Say, you are a minister. Okay, that's all you're supposed to say. Wish I could give you all tax deductions for that, but I can't. But that's the truth. We are all ministers. Anytime you use your talents and your abilities, you are ministering. You are serving. Doesn't matter if you're a man, a woman, a child. If you are serving, you are a minister. So I want to make a couple points today about ministry. The first one I want to go is kind of an example that Jesus sets for us. That's something that's really important if you're going to be a servant, if you're going to be a minister. And uh, we're going to look over in the book of Matthew, chapter 20. Of course, that also be on the screen here. And the first thing is this. If you're going to be a servant, if you're going to be the kind of minister that God would like you to be, you have to be available. To be a servant, you have to be available. Matthew, chapter 20 going to be reading with verse 29. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called what do you want me to do for you? I want you to notice the word 
stopped. Jesus stopped. If you want to be used by God, you have to be willing to be interrupted. You have to be willing to be interrupted. You know, when you look at Jesus and you look at the miracles that Jesus did, do you know almost all of them were interruptions? Think about all the people he healed. The lame man, the blind man, the sick people, the paralyzed man, the dead child. All of them were interruptions. Think about the miracles. His first miracle, a wedding, he was interrupted. His second miracle in Galilee, he was interrupted. You know, we'd love to study the life of Jesus and the places he was going and all those kind of things. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to do a study on the stops of Jesus? Because that's when a lot of his ministry took place. When he was interrupted and he let himself be interrupted, which means he let himself be available. We have to be available. You know, a lot of times that's how real ministry happens in life, isn't it? You sit down for supper, your cell phone rings. You're on your way to work and there's somebody pulled over the side of the road. Maybe their hood's up or something like that. They need some help. You're going somewhere, you're trying to get out and Somebody needs something. And that's just the way it is. If you're going to serve, it means interrupting your life and being available. It was John Wesley's model. I love this. He said, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, by all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. The original one doesn't have any commas in it. Isn't that a great statement? I mean, that, that is just awesome. And that's what it means to be available. And that's what it means to serve and, and to be shaped and let your gifts and all those types of things be used of God. You must be willing. You've got to be available. Sometimes that means being available means stepping out of your comfort zone. So what keeps us from being available? I have a couple thoughts. Number one, self-centeredness. Over in Philippians chapter 2, says this in verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also the interest of others. You know, so oftentimes... We'll be praying for people that God will send somebody into their life, that God would help somebody with something. And we're that person, and we don't even see it because we're not available. Well, I don't have time to help that person, but I'm going to pray that somebody else will have the time to help that person. But God says all of us are servants, and God has given you opportunities to serve. And a lot of times we have great intentions that we give lip service to, but we're not always very good at following through, especially if it means interrupting our schedules and what, what we're doing. I think the number one enemy of compassion is busyness. I really do. Because we have great intentions. It's not that we don't care, 
we're just so busy. And because I'm busy, I don't always have time to serve. And I don't always have time to see the opportunities that God's put in front of me. Because I got my agenda, and I have my schedule, and I have my goals, and I have my dreams and my ambitions. And you know what the problem is? We hang a sign like this on our hearts. Do not disturb. Don't bother me. I've got my own stuff going. I've got my goals. I've got my safe little life here. Don't disturb me for the needs of other people. Yeah, I mentioned to you that camping ministry a while ago when I was talking about horses. When I was at that camping ministry, once a year we would go to the National Camping Conference. It was six or 7,000 people from all different types of camps. And uh, we would always go kind of what would be the off time of year for most other kind of convention goers and stuff. So we always got to go to these convention places and stay in these downtown motels that were really, really nice at uh, pretty inexpensive rates compared to what you would usually pay to go to these types of places. Not the kind of place that I, I would usually stay at. But these places always had concierges, right? Probably most of you know what they are. They're people usually in those kind of places. They've got a desk or something somewhere, and they're there to help you. And they do all sorts of things for you. They will give you directions. You can leave your dry cleaning there, and they'll take care of it. You can leave your shoes there, and they'll take care of getting them shine for you. They'll buy gifts for you. They'll buy a gift for your wife if you tell them what it is that you want. And uh, I always felt kind of embarrassed because I always felt like I was bothering them. You know, somebody's sitting at a desk, and you walk up, and they have to stand up and talk to you, that kind of thing. I always just felt like I was bothering them, but several different times find a restaurant or something, we'd go up and, and ask for directions. And this is how they would always answer. You know, I might say something like, hey, I'm sorry to bother you. Can you tell us how to get to? And they would say something like this. It's no bother. That's what we're here for. And that was just kind of their attitude. It was just, it was always like that. Over the course of three or four days, you know, five, six different times, you'd go up and you'd ask them something. But they had this attitude. It's no bother. You see, real servants don't mind being interrupted. If you have a servant heart like Jesus, you don't mind being stopped. You don't mind being interrupted. You get up in the morning and it's like, God, what is it you want me to do today? Who is it that I can help? And maybe it's something in a small way. Maybe it's something in a large way. But I think sometimes just our busyness and our self-centeredness get in the way of that. I think something else that gets in the way of that is I think sometimes we have this attitude of I'm just not good enough. Or you might even call it perfectionist. You know, you want everything to be perfect. You know, when everything's just right, then I'll kind of get involved in this third man Jesus thing. How many of you have ever met a couple that said we're not going to get married until everything's just perfect? You ever met anybody like that? How's that usually work, right? Yeah, it's like sooner or later, you just got to get married. Or, or kids, that's another one. Everything's just perfect. Then we'll have kids. And that just, that never happens. There wouldn't be no population on the earth if you did that. But we do that some sometimes. You know, when, when things are just right, you know, when I get settled down, you know, when everything's just, just the way it's supposed to be, then I'll know I'm ready. I don't know enough about the Bible to serve. I'm not good enough yet. 
applied that to other areas of life. Well, I'm not going to play basketball until I'm as good as LeBron James. I'm not ever going to play football until I can throw a football like Tom Brady. Well, I'm never going to cook because I can't cook as good as those people on HGTV. And we'd all starve to death. But that's how we approach Christianity sometimes. We think we have to be perfect. Christ-like servants do the best they can with what they have. God uses imperfect people. Remember, we talked about that over and over in the, the series we did last year called The Story. Remember all the people we looked at that we looking at those people and we think, wow, that's not the people that I would have picked to do this big thing for God. But God uses imperfect people all the time. He picks people that maybe the world doesn't look at and see all the talents and abilities they have. But God uses all of us with our imperfections, with our quirks, and those kind of things. God uses normal, average, everyday people. People that say, my house isn't perfect, my schedule is not perfect, I don't perfectly know the Bible, but I can do this. And guess what? God blesses that kind of attitude. So the first thing we've talked about is you've got to be available. The second one, and this is kind of to get really practical, is we need to use our shape, the way that God has made us. We need to, to take advantage of the way that God has wired each of us individually. Over in the book of Job, chapter 10, verse 8, it says this, Your hand shaped me and made me. And of course, there's a very similar passage over in the book of Jeremiah. And it talks about how God has shaped us. And it kind of carries with it this very personal idea. It conveys the idea that there is an individual involvement and an attention that the Creator gave to you and gave to me when He made us. That we're not just random copies of each other, but that each of us are individually created. When you look at all of us, you can kind of see that. We're like snowflakes. None of us are the same. And God has shaped and wired all of us a little bit differently. So what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about five different ways that God has shaped you. You have a note page in your bulletin. So I'm going to ask you to pull that thing out. And I want you to use this. I know what you people usually use this for. You drop caricatures of me with devil horns on it. I know. I find them after church. There was one day I found one, and uh, it was a middle school girl. Her name was even on it. But it said, oh, yeah, this is so boring. Is it ever going to be done? And uh, I just thought it was interesting. Her name was on it. I think she was passing notes. So I want you to be a little more constructive with that this morning. So here's what I want you to do. You see that acrostic up there on the screen? On each line, I want you to spell out the word shape. S-H-A-P-E. And we're going to kind of go down and fill that out. Because as we know from Job and from Jeremiah and other places in Scripture, God has shaped each of us. 
I'm going to give you five different ways that he shapes us. The first one is this. The S stands for spiritual gifts. So just like there on the screen, you can kind of write that out. By the way, a lot of this, except probably for the first one, spiritual gifts, you could use in your workplace, you could use in your, your business place. I think about 25 years ago, I originally saw this. Uh, Rick Warren came out with it out in uh, California. You could use it with your staff. But from a spiritual standpoint, God has given all of us spiritual gifts. He has blessed you with spiritual gifts. And there's three kind of main places in Scripture where God talks about spiritual gifts. Ephesians chapter 4, Romans 12, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And he tells us that we all have spiritual gifts. And if you're not sure what your spiritual gift is, you can type spiritual gifts on a, on a search engine and it'll give you some different types of inventory tests that you can take. I have one. If you want to see me after church, I'll link you up with a, with a spiritual gifts test that you can kind of take if you're just not sure what that is. But a lot of times people just kind of know what it is anyway because it, it's just something they seem to, to gravitate toward. Maybe you're one of those people that, that you just really care and have compassion for people. And you, you have that gift of mercy. Maybe you're just really good at leading or administrating or something like that, and you have that spiritual gift of administration or leadership. Maybe you're just one of those people that's extremely generous, and you have that spiritual gift of giving. Maybe you love to study, and you have that gift of, of teaching, you know, just that kind of thing. And there's a variety of different gifts, and there are a variety of different areas. But everybody probably has at least one, if not two or three. Now, they're different from talents. You know, piano playing is not a spiritual gift. You might have a wonderful talent or ability there, but that's different from the gifts that God gives us when we're saved. So everybody has a spiritual gift. Here's the thing about a spiritual gift. Your spiritual gift is meant for the body of Christ. So if you're not using your spiritual gift, then the body of Christ is penalized. If I don't use my spiritual gifts... The body of Christ is penalized. In other words, I am cheating the body, you, if I don't use my spiritual gift. By the same token, you are cheating the body of Christ if you don't use your spiritual gift. That's really important. We're a body. Our spiritual gifts complement each other. They bless each other. And it's what makes a church church. S is spiritual gifts. Next one is heart. God has given you a heart and a passion for different things. I don't know what that is, but there are things that you enjoy doing and things that you don't enjoy doing. You've ever seen a person and you say something to them like, so what are you going to do this summer? And they say, well, I'm going to take a week's vacation. This is an adult. I'm going to take a week's vacation and go to middle school camp. And you're like, why? Right? But that's because that person has a heart for middle school students. That person has a passion for ministering to a unique time in a, in a teenager's life when they're struggling with identity and all those types of things. And they have a passion and a heart for kids, for students, 
If you've ever been a student minister or a, a youth pastor, I, I don't think it matters what time in your life you were that person. I think you always have a special place in your heart for youth and teens. If you're a teacher, I think the same thing applies. It's like you get, if you ever see a kid and you've been a, a pastor, youth pastor, student minister, teacher, and you see them sitting by themselves like they've been excluded or something, it's like your heart just reaches out to them. Because God has given you a passion, a heart. What is it that when you wake up in the morning, you're just like, man, that's what I want to do today. I'm ready to go. That's what God's given you a heart and passion for. And it's probably different with all of us. The A would be this, abilities. We all have different abilities. When I talk about abilities, I'm talking about Kind of an innate skill that, that we just seem to have. You know, it's not that you can't develop it further, but it's just kind of a skill that's just there. You know, some people are very, they have the ability to sing or to play an instrument. It, it, it is just there. And of course, they work at it and they get better. I could work at it from now till the time I die, and I'm not going to ever be able to sing or play musical instruments. It's just not there. I don't have that innate skill. Some people have athletic skill. You, you see people that are naturally fast if you've ever been in sports. And everybody's familiar if you've ever been around sports. You can't coach speed, right? Because it's just something, yeah, you can get a little bit faster by working at it, but it's almost one of those things you either kind of have or you don't have. It's an ability. Something that you just that God is just giving you. We all have natural abilities. Some of you feel incredibly comfortable in a kitchen. My wife loves to clean. I know, that's kind of weird, right? I love to get things dirty, so we're a perfect match, right? <laughs> just natural abilities. I don't know what your natural abilities are, and you don't know what mine are, but I want to give you a little test this morning. We're going to have a little bit of fun this morning. I'm going to mention five things to you about me. Only one of them is true. Okay, and I'm going to go all the way back to high school for this. Five things from high school. So, I'm going to mention them. Don't say anything until I get all five done. Don't blurt them out. Keep your comments to yourself. But I'm going to mention five things. You try to figure out which one is the true one. And then I'll go back through them one at a time and we'll, we'll kind of talk about them. Number one, I could do the most sit-ups in a minute out of everyone in high school. Don't snicker. See a couple of you shaking your head. Don't do that. Number two, I wrote, I didn't sing, I wrote the school had a competition to redo the school fight song for my high school. And I wrote and won the competition, and they still sing it today. Number three, I had the highest score in the 900 weightlifting club. That's where you had the bench press, squats, and deadlift. Oh, they kind of blank stairs here. <laughs> number four, I was the number one debater in our region my junior and senior year. Years. Number five, I did the most push-ups in a minute in my high school. All right, you got your answers? All right, here we go. 
One of them is true. Can't talk to the person next to you. How many of you thought, how many of you think it's most sit-ups? Oh. Wow, two people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll show you Christians. <laughs> Thank you, two people. How many think it was the fight song? Huh? Thank you. Twelve people, thereabouts. Alright. How many of you think uh, the 900 White Gifted Club? That's like a pity, pity vote over here, a couple of them. <laughs> number four, I was the number one debater in my high school. Alright, a lot of hands for that. Last one, I did the most push-ups in a minute in my high school. Y'all are right. I did 78 push-ups in a minute. So that's, that, that was the right answer. So, no, I couldn't do that today. This is only a half-hour sermon. We'd be here all day. So, anyway, could do a bunch of sit-ups. But we all have different natural abilities. And, yeah, push-ups is something that you work in, but there's there's probably a little bit of of natural gifting in that. So we all are blessed with different ones. Next one is P, is for personality. God has given all of us a unique personality, a unique temperament that is just for you. Over in Psalms 139, verses 13 and 14, it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb, and I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Notice that that term there, you created my inmost being. Our personality. God has made all of us different, and he's made us just the way he wants us. We're all unique, designed by God. And yet so much of our lives we spend trying to be like everybody else and copy everybody else and be a copy. But we're not copies. God has given us all a personality. Embrace the personality that God has given you. Embrace the way that God has wired you so that he can use your personality for his glory. You know, you look at our church and you see all types of personalities. I mean, you see people that are vivacious and bubbly and outgoing and extroverted. God uses them to put a smile on people's faces, and, and they make terrific greeters and people working in the cafe and those kind of things. We have people that are very detail-oriented and, and very analytical, and there are places in the church that, that those types of personalities are, are great for. You're talking about finances and bylaws and, and those types of things. Folks that are great organizers, they can organize, and there's lots of places for them in the church that are those people that just like to kind of be in the background, and they just serve, and that's what they they love to do. You want all these people serving where it fits them. I mean, do you want me working in the kitchen? I don't think so. But there are lots of people that are very good working in the kitchen and working in the cafes and those kind of places. God has given all of us a temperament and a personality. We're all wired. We're all made differently. God can take all of that. He blends it together. And we have this wonderful body called a church. How can your personality be used to church? Last one is this. Experiences. You have had all kinds of experiences in your life. It doesn't matter this morning if you're 13 
or you're 83, you've had lots of experiences in your life. I mean, we just go through different things in life. You have your vocational work experiences, you have educational experiences, you have relationship experiences, you have recreational experiences, travel experiences, some of you have experiences in other languages. Some of you have painful experiences. And God takes all the things that you've gone through and he enables and equips you to reach people that, that nobody else could reach because of the way that he has shaped you with all five of these things. Have you ever gone through a, a, a painful experience and you say, well, I don't know why I had to go through that. I, I just don't get it. it. It doesn't make sense to me. Well, I don't know why you had to go through it either. But I can assure you this. God will work it out and you will be able to reach people that nobody else could reach. My wife has gone through cancer and all that comes with that, life-altering surgeries and chemo and radiation. And she can talk to people that are in the middle of that kind of thing like I can't. She can talk to folks that are facing life-threatening illnesses because of what she's been through. And God is using her to do that. And uh, in fact, there's another pastor's wife that lives in our area in Chattanooga that that she meets regularly with lunch. That's just one example. She can do that because she's been there. You can have the opportunity to minister to somebody. You know, somebody in our church experiences a miscarriage. I, I, I can pray for them, but I haven't been through that. It's different for me. I used to, when I'd call people who their parents had passed away, I'd say things like, well, I can't imagine, but I'll be praying for you. But I've lost both of my parents now, so now I can, it's different. I can say, I know how you feel. And, and it's a different level. When you go through things like that, here's, here's, here's what I know. God never wastes a hurt if you let him use you. Now, you have to let him. But I don't think God ever wastes a hurt if you let him use you. So you think about the way that God has shaped you and the way the Holy Spirit takes all of this. And sometimes I hear people say, well, there's nothing for me to do at church. I don't think God could use me. Really? Maybe God's given you the spiritual gift of encouragement. There's all kinds of people that, that you can encourage. Maybe you have a heart for young people. And our church is full of, of young people. Maybe you have the ability to listen. And you can encourage teens and listen to teens. And you have a heart for teens. And you come alongside of them with your winsome personality. Maybe you had a bad experience as a teen. i just give you all that for an example. All of us have all these things that God can use in the body here. How many of you ever heard, the song, heard of the song, I Can Only Imagine? Yeah, just keep your hands up. I thought most of you probably had it was written by the lead singer of Mercy Me. His name is Bart Milliard. Or Milliard. When he was 19 years old, his dad passed away unexpectedly. So 19 years old, he lost his dad. And he said people were constantly coming up to him, and they would just say to him as months after, weeks after his dad had passed away, they would say things like, 
Well, your dad's in a much better place. And uh, in his journal, he would write these down. And as people would say that, he'd say, you know, as a 19-year-old, I knew maybe the reality of that, but it didn't really help much. He said, it just didn't sound good to a 19-year-old. But he said, when people would say that, I'd just write it down, and then I'd write, I can only imagine. He said, years later, in 1999, he was going through some of his old journals, and he just started seeing that phrase, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. And he sat down, and he wrote that song in five minutes. That's the only song that he's ever written. He wrote it down in five minutes and never changed a single word. And God has just blessed that song. It became the number one song that year, the number one song of the decade, and of course they made a movie about it last year. How did that happen? God had shaped Bart, and Bart was available. He had the spiritual gift of encouraging others, a heart for music. It apparently was something of a natural when it came to writing. He had a personality that, that wants to reach people for Jesus and encourage other people. And what was his experience? A 19-year-old that lost his father. When all those things come together and we're available, wonderful things Things change, and God can do something really spectacular. How can God do that? How has God shaped you? Would you pray with me, please?